Have you ever wanted to start a business but feel stuck and don't know how to start? I want to get you from idea to income in less than 90 days so you can change lives and make an impact while earning money. My name is Barbie Jo and welcome to Passion to Profit. All right. Hello, everyone. Barbie Jo here. and Welcome to another episode. Okay. So I want to introduce you to Dr. Sharon Grossman. She's the founder of the Exhausted to Extraordinary Method, a three-step method to unblock your mind, reshape your thinking, and return the joy to your work in 90 days. As a psychologist, coach, and author of the international bestseller, The 7E Solution to Burnout, Dr. Sharon works with six-figure executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals in high-stress industries who are struggling with anxiety, overwhelm, and burnout. She shares tips and strategies as keynote speaker and on her weekly podcast, Optimize Your Life and the Women in Medicine Badass Radio Show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sharon. Thank Thank you you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation, kind of see where we go and make sure we don't get lost in the laundry. (laughs) So this, I think, is huge, not only for like your executives, but also for like your everyday like family life, right? Moms in particular tend to take on more than they can chew. So tell us a little bit, what is the difference between stress and burnout? Yeah, so I always love to start with the basics. And we all know what stress is. And I think we have heard the term burnout enough that we think we know what it means. But I always like to just even the playing field. So the way I describe stress first and foremost is that it is based on perception. And it's usually when we perceive our circumstances or let's call it the demands on us to exceed our resources or our ability to cope. And that's why you can see different people in the same situation reacting very differently because one might have the perception that they can totally manage and another will have the perception that it's too much for them. And then when we look at burnout, it's basically when you have stress that's chronic and it builds up over time, it starts to break us down. So it kind of builds like layer upon layer. And if we don't have a break in the action, if there's no recovery uh, from a stressor, then that's where we see burnout starting to happen. And burnout happens in different ways for different people. But the three things to kind of look out for are mental exhaustion. And that's where you might have that brain fog. You can't really focus on your work. No matter what you do, it's just getting harder and harder. It's also cynicism. So your attitude starts to change. You may have this very negative attitude about work, like you don't think that things are going to work out or you're just kind of not very hopeful. Um, And finally, as you might imagine, when you bring these things together between the not being able to focus as well and having this negative attitude, your performance starts to decline. What I often see is that people see that and then their interpretation is often, there's something wrong with me. And the more that you think in that negative way, the worse it actually gets. And so it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Wow. Okay. That is so good to know because I think a lot of times we just dismiss it as, oh, it's just today. 
it's just because I had a rough day or it's because I just, I didn't have a good night's rest or, but to really identify them as, as you know, you're heading down this path to burnout. That is so important. Yeah. I would say if, you know, we all have these nights where we maybe don't sleep as well as we would like. And if that's a one-off, then obviously that's not not burnout because that's more what we call acute stress. And the difference between acute and chronic is obviously how long the stressor lasts. So if you weren't sleeping well night after night, or you know, sometimes I talk to people who are these super high overachievers or even like workaholics, right? And they're working 18-hour days, then clearly they're not sleeping. Monday through Friday for very long. And even if they try to catch up on the weekend, the problem is so chronic that it does catch up with them. Wow. Okay. So how is exhaustion due to burnout different from just feeling tired? When you're just feeling tired or when you're physically exhausted, it's like your body just doesn't have the energy to do anything. But what we see with burnout is at least in the beginning stages, is there's more of a mental exhaustion. And what that means, like I mentioned, is that it's hard for us to focus. What that means also is that if you shift the person from having to focus on work, which now feels really difficult, to focusing on something fun, like, hey, do you want to go out with your friends tonight and have dinner at, a, at this restaurant or you know, go see a movie or something, that they are a much more energized to do those things because they're energized as long as they're not focusing on the thing that is leading to that negative attitude, right? So if we can shift out of the work mode, all of a sudden we see that there's still something salvageable. Whereas if you're physically exhausted, like let's say you didn't sleep all night and it's been going on for three days and now you're a total zombie, it doesn't matter what we ask you to focus on. Like the energy is just not there and you're total toast. Okay. So I want to go further into that negative emotion component. If you're in that space and you're experiencing these negative emotions, how can you help people turn that around? That's a really good question. And I would say it really depends on what is going on for them that's leading them to having those negative emotions. But on the whole, typically the way we think about emotions is that they are very much associated with our thinking process. So typically people who experience negative emotions also experience a lot of negative thinking. And so part of the work that I do is help them to really identify what are their negative thinking habits, their patterns. Uh, For some people, it might be that they're, especially if they're experiencing a lot of anxiety, which we're seeing a lot more of right now, there's probably a lot of worried thoughts, catastrophizing, and those, you know, a lot of negative predictions that they, they're doing that creates more anxiety. And by identifying the patterns and finding ways to change those around, then we can actually lower a lot of that anxiety. And not only are you then experiencing less of that, but you know, when we're in anxiety mode, we get into fight or flight. And so this is affecting our energy. This is affecting our ability to focus. This is affecting our performance in a lot of different ways. There's a huge benefit to being able to taking that off the table and getting control back in your life. Yeah. You have to be like actively wanting it, right? There's no magic pill that will just turn everything around for us. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this is really the the work of emotional intelligence and uh, learning how to manage your own mind uh, because there is no magic pill for that. I mean, certainly people take antidepressant medication and they take anti-anxiety medication, but it's really just a band-aid. It doesn't teach them how to do it differently. It's not making them more resilient. So the work that I do, I see is really important if you want to help yourself so that you're not dependent on that pill mm-hmm. and feel like you are really strong. And, and it's a translatable skill, right? So if I'm in my current job and I'm feeling really stressed and I know how to manage my mind, it's going to serve me whether I'm in this job or the next job. And it's going to serve me whether I'm at work or I'm in my relationship and I'm feeling really stressed out or uh, if I've got stuff going on with my kids or things are happening in different realms of my life, it's something that I can take everywhere I go. Totally. Oh my gosh. Something I'm trying to teach my kids right now. Yeah. And I think that this is really important work to do with kids. And honestly, I haven't found a lot of people teaching how to teach your kids to be more emotionally um, intelligent. And with that, I want to say that there's only so far that you can go with it. So I actually spoke recently to somebody who said that they were teaching this to their grandchild. And the grandchild sounded amazing because at such a young age, he's able to say, I'm feeling really upset right now. So I need to take a few minutes for myself. So I'm going to go and close myself off in my room and I'll come back out. Or, you know, or if is he, if he's really like in a rage and he can't verbalize that, he'll go into his room to calm down and then he'll come out and say, I'm really sorry. I was just in a bad state, but I can see now that I, you know, treated you poorly or whatever. And I was like, this is a child speaking, right? But what I did want to say as a caveat is that until we're about 25 years old, our brain isn't fully developed. And the part of the brain that develops last is actually our prefrontal cortex, which is where we do a lot of our planning. And that's where we, when we're talking about emotional intelligence and managing your mind, that's where all of that happens. And so when that's not fully developed, the part of the brain that is firing is really your emotional uh, system, right? So we've all heard probably of the amygdala. And so that's your emotional center. And so you're operating out of your emotions rather than out of a place of reasoning. So I think like we could absolutely teach our kids some skills. It's always good to start early and also have realistic expectations that they're not 100% in control of themselves. But if you're listening to this, you're probably not a child. And so if you haven't learned how to do this for yourself, there's no better time than the present. So good. This is so good. Um, and I like the fact that if you can identify you need a moment, you know, to step away from a situation, to breathe, to just relax, to cry, whatever it is, to respect the boundaries of whoever's asking for that moment. Mm. Because I had a huge fail, parent fail the other day when I had a child who was taking that moment privately, didn't announce it to the whole family that you know, they needed a minute to go be alone. And I found them crying in the room. And I instinctively wanted to yank them out of that situation and force them to tell me what was wrong. Why are you upset? And it just escalated things. It made it worse. It totally made it worse. When I should have identified that as, you know, instead of, you know, exploding in front of the whole family, they separated themselves, took a minute to just 
process whatever it was they were experiencing before coming back into the family. And I didn't respect that. So, well, if I may say so, I think nobody teaches us how to be parents. And <laughs> it's always a work in progress. And rather than saying, you know, what you should have done and how it's an epic failure, I would say, you know, I learned something I didn't know before. And now that I recognize the importance of this, I'm going to do it differently moving forward. Mm -hmm. But also recognize that the reason you stepped in in the first place is because, as you said, it was instinctual. You wanted them to engage and you didn't want them to isolate. You wanted, you know, what do we do as parents is we want like to fix our children. We want them to be happy. It hurts us when they're hurting. So it comes from a really good place. True. Very true. And yes, lesson learned that, you know, it's okay to give your kids space. It's okay to let them, you know, process whatever they're processing in the way they need to. And then, and then checking back, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? But I was forcing it. Yeah. And sometimes we do that, you know, it's often, um, this, this kind of comes up a lot around grief work where, uh, somebody's lost somebody and, we are now trying to think like, how do I comfort this person? And what we do is we'll say things like, you'll be fine. It'll pass. And that's so not helpful. But the reason that we do that is because it makes us uncomfortable that they're uncomfortable. So we're trying to just make that go away. you know. And again, it's because nobody teaches us how to console another human being when they're going through grief. So it's really about In that case, what you're talking about when you see your child doing that is dealing with your own emotions and what are the thoughts that are coming up for you when you see your child closing themselves up in their room and crying, right? It's bringing something up. So identifying your own thoughts about that and how that's making you feel and then uh, managing that so that you're not in reactive mode, but Mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of more in tune with your intuition and maybe their needs as well. Totally. Totally. It's so easy to make it about you, right? Like, what did I do to cause this? How did, you know, I mess up as a parent when it's not about me. It's about what they're experiencing. Lesson learned, big life lesson. (laughs) And again, uh, having compassion for yourself that you just were acting out of guilt and because you thought it was something to do with you when it may not have had anything to do with you, right? Um, And then also paying attention to that because if that's the kind of thing that shows up, that's your pattern where you're always assuming responsibility, you're feeling guilty, and then you need to overcompensate. And maybe it's not about anything that you've done, but somebody or, or something else is going on for that person. So also checking in with yourself around that. This is good. This is really good. Okay. Now I want to kind of get back to like anxiety because I know there are a lot of uh, people out there struggling with this, especially nowadays. Mm. So what is your best advice to breaking the cycle of anxiety? Yeah. So I would say that there isn't like one thing, but one super helpful thing that you can take away from this is identifying what are you thinking that is causing you to feel the way that you do. So if you're feeling anxious, chances are you're probably focused on something that hasn't yet happened that you worry will be bad, right? I'll give you an example. 
So, you know, we were just on the topic of grief. So this is kind of top of mind for me, but I, I'm working with a client who had, his wife was pregnant. Um, she went full term and then the baby came out, was strangled by the cord and so came out just not breathing and they lost the baby. So he's trying to figure out like how to manage his own grief and now he starts to have anxiety about what it means that they've lost this child. And so his brain goes to this story that says, we lost this child because there's something bad that's going to happen in the future. And this is kind of like an indication that we couldn't handle another child. And that's why he had to die or something. Like It, it was like, not only did this thing happen, but this means that something else bad will also happen. And then he's not just like dealing with the grief, but now he's also got anxiety on top of that because he's made up the story, right? These are the things that our brain kind of does sometimes. And I said to him, like, maybe it's not that something else is going to happen, but maybe this is the thing that happened, right? And maybe the reason your brain is doing that is because dealing with the grief is so painful that escaping that to focus on a potential future catastrophe is just easier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes our brain makes up these stories and you have to intervene. You have to kind of see it for what it is and look at... What is the story that my brain is telling me? How likely is that actually? And what would I do if that were to happen? For instance, if you have somebody who is catastrophizing and they're telling themselves, oh, I'm going to get laid off. That's going to bring up a lot of anxiety because that's going to affect your financial security, your stability. Um, we all want to know where we're, you know, how we're paying our bills and things like that. So you know, if you're living in that constant anxiety, chances are what's going to happen is it's going to make it harder for you to focus. Your productivity is probably going to decline or it's going to take you a lot longer to get the same amount of work done because you're just not optimizing your, your space of you know, your focus and things. So you want to pause. You want to kind of examine what's going through your mind and then ask yourself, is that really likely? Where's the evidence for that? I like to have numbers just to kind of make things more realistic and say, so how how likely is it really that I'm going to lose my job? And come up with a number and say, well, um, what evidence do I have that shows that that's actually true? And then if that's really unlikely, then you want to be able to justify to yourself why it's probably not going to happen. And then focus on something that's going to allow you to feel more grounded. So sometimes when we're anxious, like the easiest thing is not to change our mindset, but to ground our bodies. And that might be that you close your eyes, you take some deep breaths, you feel your feet on the ground, and you know that you're okay in this moment, right? There's no fire right now. And I think ultimately what it boils down to, if I have to give like the ultimate um, tip for success in life is trusting in yourself. Because, you know, oftentimes when we're anxious, pe people think like it's about coming up with all of these plans. And sometimes it is, right? To a certain point it is. But 
most of the things that we actually catastrophize about never come to fruition. So we spend a lot of time planning for these things that actually never happen. But what if instead you really trusted yourself to figure it out whenever something did happen? then you don't actually have to plan for it. And actually what I find with my clients is they spend all this time planning for things that don't happen. And then the things that don't they don't plan for because they didn't kind of think about them actually happen. And then they have to figure it out anyway. So if we're going to have to do that because that's how life works, then working on trusting yourself. And what that means is building that relationship with yourself. So if you don't trust yourself right now, Why don't you trust yourself? What's coming up? And then working to get to that place where you're more self-compassionate, where you can see your strengths, where you can reflect on past challenges that you've been through and how you managed to get through them, even if they were unexpected, even if they were difficult. Those are the things that are going to help you to really be more resilient. Um, And ultimately, one question you can also ask yourself is, how do I want to feel? And then reverse engineer what you need to feed your brain, right? So if you think worried thoughts, if you think about all the bad things that could happen, you're going to feel anxious. If you want to feel calm, for instance, and you say to yourself, well, in order to feel calm, I would need to tell myself that I've got my back. Everything's okay right now. If anything happens in the future, I'll be able to figure it out you're going to feel a lot calmer. So it's sometimes we have to kind of reverse engineer the solution based on the problem. That's interesting. So why do you think people self-sabotage so often? Well, I think that comes down to your programming. And what I mean by that is you have some beliefs that come into play. So your early life experiences have shaped the way that you see the world your frame of reference for things. Sometimes we absorb other people's conditioning, their ideas about how the world works, their thoughts about safety, their thoughts about other people. And so we're running this program subconsciously. And then sometimes what that does is it leads us to getting in our own way. So on a conscious level, we might say, I want to make more money. But on a subconscious level, you're like, oh, it's not safe for me to have this amazing success because my family wasn't very well off. And if I make more money, then I won't fit in with them as an example. So even though you tell yourself, I want to be really successful, I want to make all this money, uh, you keep getting in your own way and you don't necessarily have access to that story always. And sometimes you do. Um, Sometimes you're like, I know that that's a thing, but I'm going to like keep pushing for it. And sometimes it is harder to do than we actually realize. And that's why we're seeing all this kind of sabotage happening. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. So talk to us just a little bit on meditation and why should we meditate? I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people, maybe I know in my household, speaking from experience, do not understand the word meditation. They think you have to be in a yoga class, humming and hawing, and they don't really understand that it's it's not as complicated as it may seem. So let's talk a little bit about meditation, what it is, why we should do it, how it helps. Yeah. So meditation is basically a tool that helps us be more mindful. And that's the way that I like to think about it. And there are so many different kinds of meditations, but depending on what you're going for, you have to find the right meditation that fits for you. So 
for instance, if you want to be more mindful, if you want to be able to notice your emotions more so that you're less reactive, then you would do more of a mindfulness-based meditation. And that means like noticing where your thoughts go and bringing yourself back to neutral and things like that. And there's, there's a lot of studies that show that this is actually very beneficial. It doesn't necessarily take long periods of time to do. It just takes consistency over time. So even if you're doing five minutes a day, but you keep showing up day after day, your brain actually changes in the way that it's structured and you become less reactive, which makes it so amazing because then you're not having to be super mindful about watching what you do and what you say and making sure that you're not reactive. It just happens naturally because your brain's gotten restructured. But again, there's all kinds of meditations. So for instance, there's like meditations for people who aren't very self-compassionate and they want to build more compassion into their life. It's a way of kind of reprogramming our brain to do what we want it to do because it's on that autopiloted program that is running through the subconscious. Meditation is one of those tools that helps us to take back control of that subconscious by retraining and reprogramming. Right. Okay. I love that. So to me, that it leaves us with a good, this overall message, this overarching message that everything is figure outable and that you can improve wherever you are in life right now. You can improve. Yeah. That's basically the growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about in her book. Um, and that's really a winning mindset for anybody to take on, even if you weren't raised with that idea the more you bring that into your practice, the better off you're going to be because what one thing we know is the opposite of that is a fixed mindset and that's where you feel really stuck in life and nobody really wants to feel that way. Oh my gosh, this has been so good. Okay, thank you so much for being with us. Tell us how we can find you if we want to reach out to you or work with you. So the best place to find me is on my website, which is drsharongrossman.com. And since we did start on the subject of burnout, I'd love to gift your listeners a burnout checklist that I've built so that you can kind of see where you are on in that whole process. And then based on what you find, figure out what you need to do next. So if you are interested in downloading that, just go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Very cool. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for listening to the Passion to Profit podcast. If you loved it, please let us know so we can create more content that will be useful to you. We would also like to invite you to our free masterclass on attracting high paying clients. Just visit barbiejoe.com to register for our next free masterclass so you can start filling your calendar with high paying clients and step into a full-time business and not just a hobby. We wanna show you how to make more money in less time.